This podcast edition of Other Side of Texas is brought to you by our friends at Flint Boot and Hat, a West Texas original. You want a great hat or you want to make your boots great again, go see them at 3035 34th Street or Flint and 34th Street in Lubbock or see more at flinthat.com. I outran a cold front when I gave my truck the rent. Barreling down a 35 with one thought on my mind. Forget the race, find well, out. Hey there, and how do you again? And thanks again for tuning in and telling friends that you hang out on the other side of Texas. I'm your host, Jay West Texas Leeson. Lots to get into today. Scott Braddock of the Quorum Report. What a burger, what a controversy. What's going on with Ted Cruz, Beto O'Rourke, and Whataburger? Pete Gallegos running in a contentious race. The state senate spreads across West Texas. He'll be up with us a few minutes from now. And what do you got? What do you got? Uh, A new thing we'll be doing, lay out some ground rules on that as it relates to Rager Gate. We are broadcasting from... The Racer Car Wash Studios. Racer Car Wash voted Lubbock's best wash. Five years running. Stop into one of five convenient locations across Hub City for the best wash around. Guaranteed. And when you go through, tell them, heard about you on the other side of Texas. Racerwash.com. That's racerwash.com. Now, I often say that... The single most significant form of government involved in your day-to-day life and my day-to-day life is state government. That's a constant contention on this program. And for proof of that, look no further than your public schools. And so it is I have something to say to kick off this program about rural school consolidations. Two points, and then we'll get into it. Texas lawmakers have long abdicated the school finance system in Texas. Uh, The Supreme Court of this state has recently referred to the system as Byzantinian. And I have a better descriptor for the system that also starts with a B. On average, 55 cents of every property tax dollar you pay goes into your independent school district as a Texan. 55 cents because the state share of public education funding has gone down from more than 50% in the 1980s and is projected to drop to 38% next year. Now, point number two, In a rural town, the school district is the lifeblood of the community. And I can say that from experience. It's the center of both society and culture. And you want to know why Friday Night Lights is a big deal in Texas and in West Texas and in small towns across Texas? Because it is the demonstration of a community's pride. I graduated from a school with 57 at Abernathy Independent School District and I remember accounts that that I look back on and were absolute solid gold uh, in helping form who I am today and 
as I've watched these considerations on rural school consolidations, what I see, and I've written a piece about this, you can go Google it, uh, what's the cost of losing a rural school? And here's what I'm finding is that hardly anyone's counting the cost. Now, there is an emerging movement in Texas, mostly backed by what we call suburbitarians, to reconcile the state's books over these decades, as well as escalating property taxes by doing what? You guessed it, consolidating rural schools. In rural towns, consolidation is a euphemism for ceasing of the community. I note a series of Texas Education Agency hearings that I note because I'm being told about what the discussions are and I've begun to follow it. And they're discussing the math and the revenues to be saved, the math of profits and revenues to be saved by consolidations, instances in which some counties have 20 plus school districts and in that discussion there are legitimate arguments however you feel about them that rather than consolidate school districts you could combine staffing superintendents and superintendent pay and the like uh, to cross over some redundancy of resources and personnel but all this discussion is about is saving but none of it is considering costs for instance, where is the discussion about Arkansas's Act 60? If you aren't familiar, in the early 2000s, Arkansas passed a law, the state did, mandating any public school had to have at least 350 students. Now, I've spoken in recent days with community leaders in Arkansas that can talk in detail how Act 60 hurt and decimated and in some cases ceased communities. And that's because the main economic driver, the centerpiece of culture and society in the school district is now gone. And now they're left with escalating costs that they never anticipated, like Medicare in a place that doesn't have much economic vibrancy and food stamps and don't get them started by the way on the impact it's had on minority children and poor children in particular who are now on buses for hours a day now arkansas is different than texas constitutionally and texas constitution requires under the foundation school program that all texans have a free and equitable education now there are some implications to this and i could really get off right now and just take the whole hour into this but lots of you guys in suburban and urban communities especially in urban communities where are your republicans where are yours where are your republican elected leaders in san antonio and austin and houston there aren't many that's right and do you know how you get uh, republicans you get them out in this part of texas where people are able to look at things pragmatically and not through ideological rainbow stew but i just look at one district in particular in texas house district 83 it 
it takes in all of Texas Tech, uh, lots of the Texas Tech faculty community in Lubbock, and then everything outside the loop in Lubbock and the rest of Lubbock County, and then to offset the Democratic majority down that sliver of Lubbock, you have to take in expanding areas of southwest Lubbock and then six additional rural counties in order to gerrymander it into a Republican uh, into a Republican district. Now, my point there is that if you want to close down schools, you'll close down, and I should say this is Brandon Darby's point. He, he's articulated this much more articulately than I can. But if you want to close down these schools, you're going to close down towns, and then you're going to have more migration to urban centers, and how many Republicans will you have there? Now, again, I'm not a devotee of either party, but somebody needs to count the cost. And I'm not going to stand by and assume people who've done terrible math for decades are going to get the math right all of a sudden this time. And I find it deplorable. And this is the right use of deplorable. That bad math, and while, by the way, expanding charter schools in urban, in urban communities... I find it deplorable that bad math is being balanced on the backs of rural Texas. And believe you me, first it's this scope of consolidation, and next the scope of consolidation will only grow so long as we allow this math to be done and these politics to be done in the fashion in which they're doing them. There's a reason why we're all dazed and confused with our property taxes, and it's because the property taxes go up because the state share is not coming in and the rates of these school districts are staying the same. Let me say it in another fashion, dazed and confused. Property taxes go up and the rates stay the same. It's because they aren't being given what the state ought to be putting forward. And so that's why your property taxes go up. I find it I find it absolutely befuddling that, that we're to this point. But as we get into that point and more and more people begin to make these arguments, people who are not counting costs, only counting profits, people who have no knowledge of or empathy with or consideration of rural parts of this state will speak out because that's what we do here. We speak up from and for other side of Texas. Good show coming up, Scott Braddock. What a burger, what a controversy. Pete Gallego, and what do you got coming up right here on the other side of Texas? As he is every week, Scott Braddock, editor of the Quorum Report with Braddock on Texas. How are you, Scott Braddock? Yeah. Doing very well, Jay Leeson. How are you? Uh, we're doing, you know, we got quite the story going in the Lubbock, but... Uh, nonstop. Uh, as far as I can tell, it is nonstop developments here yeah, on I, the other side of Texas. Even even going down into the Beltway. Um, mm-hmm. the people following it all over. But we want to take Absolutely. a break from Rigger Gate for a bit to check in. I, I say this all the time, yeah. like I just said in the previous segment, the... 
the one form of government that impacts people more than anything else is your state legislature in Texas. And uh, nobody knows it better, the inner workings, than uh, Scott Braddock here with Braddock on the Texas. So, Braddock here, this is where I want to start. What is this Whataburger thing? And let me just say, I see all this back and forth. Ted Cruz, a Republican incumbent in the U.S. Senate, Beto O'Rourke, the Democrat, running against him. And I see all this back and forth. And this went down last week, and I caught on to it at about lunchtime. So it's great for Whataburger, because you know what I did? I drove right on in to Whataburger. And they, uh, did, did you know that you can, you can get the triple meat, and they'll just put it in a plate if you don't want the bun, because I'm trying to stay away from the grains. And they'll sure. just lay it all out in this great plate. Uh, but it, it's, this has to be booming for Whataburger. But what is this all about? The campaign signs that some folks may have seen in your area, certainly more of uh, Beto O'Rourke's campaign signs in uh, bigger cities like Austin, Dallas, Houston, etc. Although, as you know, this Democrat has made it a point to campaign in rural Texas as well, to his credit, so you may see some of those signs there. Those signs look a lot like the spicy ketchup uh, containers at Whataburger. Everybody's seen them the black and white logo, the spicy ketchup, the white lines off to the side of the words. Um, and the Star-Telegram, the newspaper in Fort Worth, did a story about it. Uh, and, you know, it's just one of those Texas stories. I mean, the headline is, Why Beto O'Rourke's campaign sign resembles the likeness of this Whataburger condiment. And it's got people talking about it. Um, and what really sent the story, you know, just spinning off in a direction that some folks could not have anticipated, was the campaign spokeswoman for Ted Cruz, the Republican incumbent. Uh, her name is Emily Miller. And I understand, by the way, Jay, uh, that Emily, like a lot of campaign staffers, comes in from D.C., has probably been here in Texas for about six months. And when you're working on a campaign in any state, uh, Texas or anywhere else, there are some pitfalls that you may not know about if you're coming from somewhere else, right? And when they, and when they train you, when they give you the employee manual, <laughs> there's not a line in it that says, by the way, Whataburger is something that you just don't touch and you, you don't try to use as an insult against somebody. Um, here was the quote uh, from Emily Miller. She was asked about it uh, by the Star-Telegram reporter, and she said, quote, Unlike the spicy ketchup, when Texans unwrap the O'Rourke packaging, they are definitely not going to like what they see underneath. She's still okay right there. She's still in the road, but follow me. This is where she goes in the ditch. The rest of the campaign, the rest of the campaign quote is, quote, O'Rourke's like a triple meat Whataburger liberal who is out of touch with Texas values, unquote. You see what she tried to do there? She tried to say that, you know, O'Rourke is a liberal that Texans aren't going to like. Of course, we have, you know, had some debate about that. Um, but to say the guy is like a triple meat Whataburger is is kind of the opposite of an insult. It'd be like if, if I was trying to insult you and I called you a deluxe version of something that everybody likes. It just didn't make any sense. Yeah, and, and so, so there's the people analogy. piled on. <laughs> yes, people piled on her, saying that that was ridiculous. And you know, there were some um, Republican uh, folks I talked to who said, "Look, if if uh, let's let's say for example, if Alan Blakemore, who handles the same kind of thing for Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, if he'd been asked the same question, you could imagine him saying something like, "Well, you know, our opponent probably can't be found on the 
Whataburger menu. He's more of a California liberal, arugula salad type person, uh, something like that. That's where you go with a quote like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, this turned into a little bit of a controversy. But I can say, uh, as you said, maybe good for Whataburger in some sense because, of course, they get their name out there a whole lot. And the brand loyalty for Whataburger in Texas is just through the roof. People in this state love Whataburger. In fact, I have heard some people say uh, that even if folks don't love Whataburger, which there are probably some people out there who don't, they'll still say that they do because it's iconic. Whataburger officials declined to comment on this at all. <laughs> I can't imagine why. Why they wouldn't comment. You know, it's it's one of these things that is a third rail for businesses. They don't want to be involved in politics. They don't want anybody who's a Ted Cruz supporter to think that they welcome Beto O'Rourke supporters into their stores and vice versa. Um, I did see that uh, online people were trying to goad Whataburger into saying something uh, on Twitter. They have a very active Twitter account, and a very funny Twitter account. Um, but, look, uh, businesses don't want to be involved in this stuff. You might remember uh, that Whataburger uh, was also involved in a little bit of a controversy uh, right after the open carry bill was passed and signed into law in Texas because, like lots of restaurants, they don't want uh, people carrying uh, openly in their restaurants, even though uh, people can concealed carry. Um, but, uh, look, it, people go people go to these places to enjoy a meal. The businesses want to sell the burgers to as many people as possible, whether they're supporters of Ted Cruz or supporters of Beto O'Rourke. I mean, they don't even want to say anything um, like, you know, the supporters of both candidates are welcome here. Because, of course, there would be people on the fringes who say, I don't want to eat a burger alongside anybody who supports that other guy. So, you know, politics is not the place that these companies want to go, Jay Leeson. Yeah, and I can say from my own personal experience with this program, Whataburger does not want to touch politics. And the minute they hear about an advertising opportunity and politics is brought up, uh uh-uh, game over, sorry. Thank you for your continued support of our restaurant, but we cannot support political programming. So... You know, so on, let's get into her intent for just a moment, though. Emily, Mm -hmm. what's her name? Emily? Uh, Her name's Emily Miller, spokesperson for Cruz. Mm -hmm. I mean, so there's a a disconnect in the analogy, because we start with condiment, and then we move over to the triple meat burger, which is one I ordered, (laughs) by the way. Yes, very good. Mm -hmm. But I think the line that she put out there is the line that the Cruz, and I think... Uh, looking this just politically being a political observer is smart for Cruz because he wants to goad O'Rourke into discussing ideological issues and of late yeah. it doesn't sound like he's even having to goad O'Rourke O'Rourke's beginning to speak on some some fringe issues and get away from like whoever wrote the piece this weekend I didn't catch where it was uh where it was published but Beto is betting on moderates uh, but the more he goes out there maybe maybe the cruise line is right people are going to discover layers and we all know with the triple meat there are a lot of layers layers yes. that they won't like well that's right and the sentiment is the correct one I mean that, that that's true um, you know we, we gave the example of uh, maybe trying to move this in a different direction of saying he's you know more of a California liberal. Maybe he's somebody who eats uh, you know California hamburgers like In and Out would have been a better quote. Uh, Cruz himself said that the quote from his spokesperson was inartful, 
but that the sentiment was on target. Um, only a couple of days later, uh, O'Rourke uh, was asked about uh, this controversy over the NFL players uh, kneeling during the national anthem, mm-hmm. uh, and O'Rourke, O'Rourke said, to your point, he said, well, I can't think of anything more American than doing that. Well, there is a heated debate about that, mm-hmm. of course, and we don't have to get into it right now, um, but I can imagine that if you polled your listeners, or if we polled people in Texas, um, that most Texans would not agree with that, that they would think that most uh, that the players need to stand during the national anthem. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've talked also about the fact that O'Rourke um, is somebody who is liberal. I mean, he is a liberal. I mean, it, this is not somebody who's running without a legislative history. Uh, he has votes in Congress you can look at. He has uh, taken stances when he was on the El Paso City Council. Uh, he's a person who in the past have said that uh, he's open to the legalization of all narcotics, for example, which is something that uh, Ted Cruz's campaign has uh, seized on. And O'Rourke says, well, look, you know, they're trying to paint me as somebody who wants to give heroin to your kids, and that's not true. Well, that's not what Cruz said. Cruz said something accurate, which is that O'Rourke has been open to that legalization of those uh, types of drugs. Um, And so O'Rourke's having to explain himself a little bit, and if he's going to move to the middle, that's something that's okay. I think that uh, people can, you know, change their positions. When you give more consideration to something, uh, you might decide that your position's a little different than it used to be, uh, but let's get real. This is also somebody who just recently said uh, that it's a good idea to impeach President Trump, which, again, a hot debate about that. There are a lot of people on one side and on the other side as well. As the president would say, there's probably good people on both sides. But if you polled Texans, I don't think most of them would agree that the president ought to be impeached. So um, O'Rourke has a history of saying things that are liberal, voting in ways that are liberal, and so he has to explain that. Yeah. If you think the NFL flag controversy is the middle, then maybe your altometer's busted. Yeah. Yes, right. So yeah, it, well, and being on that side of it, it I don't think it is anywhere close to the middle. Not certainly not in Texas, uh, where the vast majority of folks um, probably feel that uh, those players ought to be standing during the national anthem. And look, there are good points on both sides of the the debate. As, as we said, we're not really trying to settle that right now. But the point is, this is somebody who's running as a statewide candidate in Texas, and Texas has a history for not just for the last 25 years, but for the last 100 years, really, of electing people statewide who are conservatives, as you have documented well on this show, uh, even when this was a one-party state and they were Democrats. The vast majority of people being elected were conservative Democrats, certainly at the statewide level. Uh, sort of the one uh, blip on the radar would be the election of uh, well, two blips, I would say, would be uh, Jim Hightower as agriculture commissioner years ago was very liberal, uh, as well as Governor Ann Richards, who was very liberal. But it was Richards who said, famously, and we've quoted her this way before, um, that it was the Democrats' mission uh, among liberals like herself to drive the conservatives out of the Democratic Party and drive them over to the Republican Party. She later joked that they were very successful, of course. So the conservatives became Republicans, and this has been a Republican state ever since. Hmm. Let's move over to the governor for just a moment. Er, sure. Governor Abbott, update. It pays pretty good to be on his staff, huh? It certainly does. Um, there was an analysis by the uh, San Antonio Express News uh, that showed that uh, his top staffers are earning six-figure wages that exceed those uh, paid uh, to similar employees in California, Florida, New York, you know, all the other big states. Um, and um, five of his top administrators uh, each make 265000 a year. That's more than he makes, by the way. Uh, those men rank among the 50 highest-paid uh, Texas state employees. 
three of Abbott's staffers who earn uh, the 265000 recent hires after uh, a top-level staff shakeup uh, that happened a few months back. Uh, those were his chief of staff, Louis Sines, also his uh, chief advisor for fiscal affairs, Tommy Williams, who's a former state senator from the Houston area, and his policy director, John Caliandro. Uh, Sines, by the way, uh, has been a top lobbyist in Austin. He is making more than Abbott's former chief of staff, who earned about 207000 uh, as recently as 2017. Uh, by the way, the governor uh, is paying these uh, big uh, salaries because these folks, and this is the way uh, some folks explained it uh, here in Austin, this makes sense, these folks could make more money in the private sector if they're going to be lobbyists or they're going to do uh, something in corporate America. Uh, they could certainly make more than $265,000 a year. It's worth noting, though, and I don't remember that it's mentioned this in the story, but Abbott, uh, in the Chronicle story and uh, Express News story, it has uh, been uh, one of his longtime stances uh, of the governor uh, that there should be a stop to the revolving door of legislators, uh, you know, lawmakers uh, who either get beaten in their elections or they retire from the legislature and then they go become lobbyists and, in Abbott's words, sort of cash out on their government experience. He's against it for lawmakers, and this is a, a fine point of distinction, but he is not in favor of stopping that revolving door for people who work in his office. Uh, and so, yeah, he's got some folks who could be top lobbyists who are working for him, uh, and he has no problem paying them top dollar to be able to retain them in state government. Hmm. It's so interesting. I want to have a, open up a whole discussion about term limits, but... You know, I think on the side that's against term limits is a concern that people who qualify for Abbott-style job, uh, uh, the sort of job that they have to do is going to get mm -hmm. executive types that you would essentially have government run by people who are, there was would be a revolving door on lawmakers, but these folks, this, this striped person... With, who knows wh not just where all the paper clips are, but where all the bodies are, you know, and where all the legislative process is, they would effectively be running government. So. It's one of those things that sounds good on the campaign trail, right? We're going to um, stop the revolving door of people, that, you know, working in government, then working as lobbyists, and then going back and working in government again, uh, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. Um, but the re but despite the fact that it's a good uh, piece of campaign rhetoric, um, it ignores the reality that when people have worked in government and then have worked as lobbyists, um, they know how the system works. And you know, there's a there's a balance to be had uh, between uh, trying to root out what some people see as corruption, and then also uh, being you know having people who actually know what they're doing in these positions. I mean, somebody like uh, Louis Sines, the chief of staff for Abbott. Uh, is somebody who knows where the levers are in state government, knows how to influence people, um, and knows how to uh, work toward positive policy outcomes. I mean, that, that's a good thing. Um, but it's the governor's own rhetoric that uh, would suggest that someone like Science should not be in that position. Um, and so uh, it's worth asking the governor the question. And by the way, they have not answered this question and probably won't, but it's worth asking them, and uh, we'll continue to try to ask the governor about why he is in favor of stopping that revolving door for lawmakers, but not for people who work for him. Mm. Scott Braddock, Horn Report. Carrying on with us, a couple more questions for you, Scott Braddock. Coming up after you, as I pitched in the beginning of the program, Pete Gallego is a Democrat. He's running in Senate District 19, which starts on kind of the west of uh, San Antonio. 
or way out west. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then goes across West Texas. It's essentially it looks a lot like Will Hurd's congressional district. It's yes, traditionally sir. been carried by a Democrat, a Democrat who got in a lot of legal trouble. Carlos Uresti, he stepped down. So now you got this special between Pete Flores and Pete Gallego. Pete Flores, uh, the Texas GOP on behalf of uh, Pete Flores, has filed a lawsuit trying to get Gallego kicked off the ticket and kicked off the ballot because they say he lives outside the district. What's going on here? Well, they say he lives in Austin, um, and Gallego says that's not true. He says he lives um, in the district uh, down in way down in South Texas, as you mentioned. That in, district yeah, uh, goes way, way out to West Texas, uh, yeah, to the Alpine area, the Big Bend area. Um, and the Republican Party of Texas uh, filed the suit on Friday. Uh, Chairman James Dickey said, "Quote: He has for years lived with, lived with his family in Austin." where his wife has a homestead exemption. This is well-known, well-documented. We filed suit today to prevent this recurring pattern of deceit from being rewarded with a place on the ballot for the Texas Senate. Uh, Gallego uh, said that, uh, look, it's just not true. Neither my wife nor my young son are running for the state Senate. I'm a lifelong resident of District 19, and I'm privileged to have represented many of its people for approximately 24 years. Of course, another person who's been uh, in government for quite some time. Uh, We'll see how this plays out. The suit was filed here in Austin, in Travis County, uh, and we'll follow the legal proceedings. Uh, A lot of times these residency um, questions don't go very far. Uh, It's very hard to, I mean, there are requirements in place, but it's hard to prove it because, um, you know, you look at various things like uh, where a person is registered to vote, where they pay their utility bills, things like that. If this goes to uh, a full trial, a full hearing, then those are the kind of things that will be looked at. Um, But uh, very interesting that you have uh, a state Senate race in which a very Democratic area, uh, and this state Senate district has been represented by a Democrat for many, many years, um, looks like there is a possibility uh, that a Republican could pick up that seat. And, uh, look, that's important for all Texans because what's happening right now is a battle around the margins for who will be in control of the Texas Senate uh, next session as far as how quickly things can move. There's no question, I'll make this very clear, there's no question that there will be a majority of Republicans in the Texas Senate, uh, but right now uh, three-fifths of senators who are present can agree to move a piece of legislation forward. And with the possibility of a Democrat winning in Fort Worth uh, in the Tarrant County area, uh, Senator Connie Burton could lose her seat to a Democrat. That's going to be a very competitive race. And you also have the possibility that Don Huffines, a Republican in Dallas County, could lose his seat to a Democrat. If the Republicans could pick up this seat in South Texas, that would kind of even things out as far as how the rules work and whether they could move legislation forward. Right now, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has the you know has more than enough Republicans to move legislation that he wants to move forward. And so bottom Let's, line is every vote every vote counts and every seat in the Texas Senate counts. Yeah, and this, again, back to the point about Texas government being the most influential form of government in our lives. The upper chamber, the Senate, I need to flesh this out for new listeners, has 31 senators, and mm-hmm. right now uh, the only 19 senators need to be on board for something to be brought to the floor. Under former rules, it was 20 or 21, right, Scott? But you essentially had to have a Democrat on board. Now, if the Democrats blockade, then or it doesn't matter now. And so right. you get, you get there are 20 Republicans wild, right now. 
Yeah, you get some pretty wild right. policy out there, and so sure. vouchers is automatically on the floor and and all sorts of things. Unless you got to kill Seliger who holds back. Uh, but this matters a lot, these races and who comes up in these races, because you you said who's in charge. And for me, it's, well, are Republicans going to be in charge or kind of in charge or will Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick be in charge? That's yeah, and when we, how that plays out, that, I think. That's right. And when we say, you know, who's going to be in charge, it, it really is a question of who is going to have their priorities move forward quickly. One One example to give real quickly here is when the bathroom bill was being debated last year in the Texas Senate, um, it was one of Dan Patrick's priorities which took the longest to come out of the Texas Senate to be passed by the Texas Senate. It eventually was passed by the Senate. It later died in the House, of course. Uh, But the reason that it took so long to come out of the Senate was because there were several Republican senators who were not comfortable with it the way that it was written, uh, and it was changed uh, in, in a couple of significant ways before it was uh, actually debated on the floor of the Senate. So bottom, all of this can be very confusing for folks, but the bottom line is that every vote counts and every senator counts, and uh, so we'll see what happens in this race uh, down in South Texas and these races around the state. Hey, uh, last one here, and we'll let you go, Scott. No, you got things to do. Uh, so you've said, I think, infamously or famously, one or the other, that there is an opposition party to just to pivot from the previous conversation where the Democrats are not anywhere close to being in charge in Texas government. Uh, there right. is an opposition party in Texas, and it is the federal government. A judge in Houston demands more information from all sides in a case as to whether or not DACA is unconstitutional. What's the latest on that? The judge is receiving additional briefing on this from attorneys. Uh, actually, today, Judge Andrew Hainan had a hearing in Houston last week and asked for both sides, all sides really, to um, weigh in more. Uh, he said that they hadn't presented enough um, of their arguments during the hearing last week. Uh, Attorney General Ken Paxton is asking that the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, which shields some undocumented immigrants from deportation, uh, he's asking that that be dismantled done away with, uh, and the coalition that has lined up against Paxton on this is very interesting. It's immigrant rights activists, as well as a lot of folks in the Texas business community. Um, it, you know, a lot of times the um, media portrays DACA as, as something that is a real benefit to folks who uh, are going to some of our um, uh, premier institutions like um, the University of Texas or Texas Tech or Texas A&M, and then entering the workforce at that level with advanced degrees. Uh, but it should be said that it's the construction industries and uh, restaurant uh, industry as well uh, that uh, would be hit the hardest if this was to uh, go away. Um, in fact, 19% of working DACA recipients hold jobs in food service. That's according to an analysis uh, by the New American Economy. That's a group that works on this stuff. Uh, And the construction sector employs another 10%. That's about 240,000 people. That's why groups like the Texas Association of Business, Texas Restaurant Association, a lot of chambers of commerce as well as uh, some high-profile companies, uh, like some construction companies in Houston, uh, United Airlines Southwest, uh, also opposing Paxton's lawsuit. And it could take about a month for the judge to say whatever he's going to say on this. Um, and whatever he says on this, the battle will be far from over because there are, are there are some other um, pieces of uh, litigation going on in other uh, states uh, where um, the, you know the the courts have gone one way on this. 
depending on what happens in Houston, this could definitely end up in front of the United States Supreme Court. So we'll find out uh, together here uh, in probably about a month uh, when this judge in Houston decides uh, what he has to say about the constitutionality of the DACA program. Hey, that headline I saw earlier this weekend, Beto bets on moderates. You know where I saw that? Quorumreport.com. You can see all the Texas news there as well. He is the editor, Scott Braddock. Thank you, Scott Braddock. Thank you, Jay Leeson. Talk soon. When you're best friends with the founder of the Lubbock County Militia, you get your own radio show. It's the other side of Texas with Jay Leeson. One night in Kansas City, after we played the show, shots rang out as I stumbled home. So I hit behind the door. Hey, welcome back in to the other side of Texas. It's this segment brought to you by our friends at Lubbock File Room. For all your file destruction needs, go do what I do and see those folks at Lubbock File Room, LubbockFileRoom.com. On the line with us, we have. A former congressman, former member of the Texas legislature in the Texas House, he is Pete Gallego. Pete Gallego, how are you? I am doing well, thank you. Uh, a pretty busy day for you, Pete Gallego. I want to get into it uh, now. He's running sure, for uh, a great day. Senate District 19 and a couple of wins today. We'll get into those. But uh, Senate District 19, if you're not familiar, there's not even a good way to describe it, Pete Gallego, other than it uh, goes, essentially, you're talking the Rio Grande, south of, well, around San Antonio, comes down south of of, uh, Eagle Pass, goes back up the Rio Grande, and then through far west Texas and somehow makes its way back to San Antonio, some think it's the only non-gerrymandered district in Texas. Uh, but today, uh, you're the Democrat running against uh, Pete Flores, who's been on this program. We'll get into some Pete Flores stuff here in just a moment. But the news of the day is around Texas politics that a judge rejected a request from the Texas GOP to block you, Pete Gallego, from the ballot in Senate District 19 their claim was that you don't live in the actual district. You're, I think, I don't think it's a claim. I think you've proven that you do have residence in Alpine in the district. Your thoughts on what's gone on today, Pete Gallego? Well, I knew that uh, uh, really, I mean, it is a 60% uh, or so uh, Democratic district just under but the truth is that uh, I think they were trying to muddy the waters and just get a lot of uh, media attention for uh, their candidate and, and bad about me. So they, they filed what I would uh, call a frivolous uh, lawsuit alleging that I didn't live in Alpine where I've lived for ages. But uh, today the judge uh, threw, that, uh, threw that out, rejected their request for an injunction, requested their uh you know, uh, he refused their request to uh, kick me off the ballot, and so, uh, and, and frankly, I guess even Governor Abbott thought that that lawsuit was pretty weak because today he set an election date for uh, September the 18th. Uh, he didn't delay or do anything as the the Texas GOP would have had him do. I think that that uh, makes all the the difference in the world. I mean, we're we're on now for. Uh, 
September the 18th uh, for sure, and uh, early voting starts the 10th, and I'm pretty excited about it going forward. So was that, the way I read it, as I followed on Twitter, Pete Gallego with us here on the program, uh, was that that news, that decision was made before the hearing today or came up in the middle of the hearing today, or was it, it came after? Up in the, no, it came up pretty much in the middle of the hearing. Okay. Uh, the uh, uh, the governor deciding to to hold the election on the 18th. I don't think the hearing was even uh, was even over uh, by that uh, by that time. But I, I I really don't think it was a a, a claim that was filed uh, in good faith. As I said, I don't think they made much of a much of an effort to argue it. They didn't present any evidence or anything like that. They just said he doesn't. Uh, you know, here's here's the pleading. Here's what we have to say. And in a in a, a, a temporary uh, a hearing for a temporary restraining order, that's an ex- what's called an extraordinary remedy. I mean, you have to you have to really show that you're going to be damaged, that you're going to be harmed, and, and uh, they weren't able to do that. Uh, so th- neither the facts nor the law were on their side. I think everybody knew that from the beginning. Everybody knew that going in, and so now we move on to the election. How do you feel that election date plays? Uh, do you feel like it plays against your favor or to your favor? No, so I like uh, quick election uh, cycles like this. Uh, it it makes it easier, I think, for everybody. Uh, uh, it certainly makes it easier on the families, uh, on, on my family, where I don't have to drag them through a, a two-year uh, thing. Uh, you have essentially 40 days uh, to do what you need to do to touch base with as many people, and I think this is really uh, what elections should be like. I mean, I think people get tired of the campaign seasons and tired of listening to the ads and getting the mail, and uh, and you have a little over a month, and I, I think uh, uh, it works out better for me in that sense. And it works. It may work out because the Gallego name is not a new name for a lot of people down in South and uh, West Texas. You've, uh, as I said, as a congressman and also a member of the uh, Texas House of Representatives, you think that plays pretty well in the forefront? Oh, I think that's very true. I mean, my roots are very deep uh, out there in uh, in South and West Texas. I, you know, I've known three, four generations of, uh, of folks now. I mean, my relationships in Del Rio and Eagle Pass are 30 years or so old. Um, I, I think that's really hard to beat. I mean, when you can go to any Friday night football game in any one of those counties out there, and you know half the crowd, uh, that's that's a different situation than, than than most people are in, and and I think that gives me a huge uh, advantage in that sense. Okay, so Pete Gallego, as we go along here, I'm sure you've got plenty of media requests today lined up. Uh, I will say that in I don't know what I'm saying about my own intelligence. We just set today, and today happened to be the news day. So certainly glad that you took time <laughs> to to visit with There's us. There's something here. to be said for timing, right? Timing is everything. Yeah, sometimes you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Uh, this is <laughs> one exactly thing. Like, right. So Pete Flores was was the winner, number one overall in the special election night, and you've mentioned the sixty percent number in that district uh, Democratic uh, voter expected Democratic voter participation 60% but Pete Gallego I want to ask you a couple of questions on that front sure. and the first is sure. you know, I've seen it you've seen it plenty of abortion rights activists 
upset about your candidacy, that you are the Democratic nominee. Uh, plenty of, L- I mean, the LGBT community in, in, in San Antonio has, I, mean, I can just, just read and deduce what I'm reading, really opposed. Does it hurt you in that regard, Pete Gallego, that there are fringes on the left that really are not excited about you and don't want other Democrats <laughs> in that district to be excited about you? And so I'm saying, well, can I, you really count I, I, on that 60%, Pete Gallego? No, I, I, here's what I would tell you is my, my uh, look, people don't like politics. I don't like politics either. I, 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 uh, I tell people the only part of politics I don't like is the political part, right? I mean, because I love people and I love policy, but um, I think most of us are tired of the yelling and the screaming, and most of us don't identify. Uh, we're, we're all somewhere in the middle, right? And I think people want someone who is in the middle, who's open-minded, who's reasonable, who uh, they can talk to, and who has a more practical approach. And so you don't get that on the uh, extreme fringes of the right. You don't get that on the extreme fringes of the left. And I think, frankly, uh, when you're out there in the middle, I think that's a good place to be. So our, uh, there, you know, there's a lot of issues uh, for me uh, that, that I think uh, uh, play uh uh, a factor. I mean, on the one hand, if you're in San Antonio, I've heard, well, but, you know, he lives west of, uh, of I-35. And there aren't very many senators that live west of I-35, and there's not very many people west of I-35. Why should we give west of I-35 another senator? Well, there are a lot of people who live west of I-35, and they deserve every bit of a, as big a bang for their tax dollar as someone who lives east of I-35, right? There's going to be people who make different arguments about different things, but that's true of every candidate. So I don't worry about that. It doesn't guide me. I just, you know, what I do is I love to block walk. I love to make phone calls. I love to meet people. I've been spending a lot of time in San Antonio because uh, this is where the majority of the people are in that Senate district, and it's gone really, really, really well. So I look forward to September the 18th. I mean, I none of us have a crystal ball. We, we don't know, but... I can tell you that I have a great deal of faith, um, and as a person of faith, I know that uh, God has a plan, and, and uh, His will will be done. So do I sweat it? Do I worry about it in that sense? No, I just keep working uh, and do the best that I can. All right. We bring you the newsmakers in all the views and issues here, and Pete Gallego is at the forefront of the conversation, at least for today he is, and he's here with us. I want to ask you this. We just had a segment with Scott Braddock of the Quorum Report, okay. and we talked about, we broke down lots of people. You say people don't like politics. They don't like the acrimony, so we try to cut through the acrimony most of the time and bring them why Texas state government matters. Uh, I always argue more than any other form of government that's involved in day-to-day lives of people, Texas government matters, and that's why we try to educate folks. Uh, we know that if the lieutenant governor walks in and somehow wins Senate District 19 and has that as an R, that it only furthers his supermajority within the Senate, that there are no longer any green slips in the Texas Senate. You don't have to go and look for 21 votes you just simply have a majority of 21, and so that's what you go with, and that being on the Republican side. But I know him to be a very shrewd politician and a very shrewd 
presiding officer. Have you had any conversations with Dan Patrick throughout this campaign? No, actually, I um, I haven't uh, had any conversations with uh, Governor Patrick. It was uh, uh, clear to me uh, initially that Governor Patrick uh, was uh, very partisan in his choice of candidates and would be supporting uh, Mr. Flores. And uh, soon after that uh, uh, night of the first round of the elections, when they uh, when he endorsed and those kinds of things, actually right beforehand. So uh, I have not had any conversation. What I will tell you is I have a history of working with both sides. I mean, the, the yelling and the screaming isn't my thing, but I, I like to find people who can work uh, uh, across the aisle and, uh, and make a difference for Texas. Um, I hope that Governor Patrick is open to working with me. I fully expect uh, to win. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, in the political season, a lot of people tend to do the political thing. And so I'm not surprised that he prefers uh, Pete Flores to me. Pete Flores isn't going to win. I am. Um, And we'll have the appropriate conversation at the appropriate time. Okay. So speaking of Pete Flores, I would like to, and I know I've got you for about six more minutes here, and so I want to make the most of that. I'd like to play for you about a minute and a half of audio, and it's a question. Pete Flores was on this show a week ago, a week and a half ago or so. Uh, he was on this program, and I asked him a question about role of government, and he volunteered an answer about public education. I'd like you to listen to that and then to respond. Are you able to do that? Sure. Okay, here we go. Well, in, in education, yeah, we have a constitutional requirement to fund our public schools. But at the same time, I strongly believe that uh, the parents should be the drivers of policy. And and, uh, and and in in in, in that uh, I, I do support uh, the parents' choice with vouchers, uh, and uh, and so I just want to make that clear. Government is there to serve the people, not to be served. It was never never intended by the founding fathers of the Constitution that it become it become what it is. Rather, it's there to to to, to provide for the common defense and uh, and uh, and uh, primarily. And the Constitution is framed. Uh, uh, very clearly to, to protect our freedoms and our ability to in, in, engage in speech and religion and commerce and and the pursuit of happiness and uh, that's that's what uh, what this republic is all about and remind people that we're not a democracy we're a constitutional republic so it's there pete gallego where he brings <laughs> up the issue about vouchers and that he wants public schools to be fully funded now i've questioned you on i think I think based upon what I know about you that it would be difficult to have representation out of West Texas and especially the Senate District 19 that walked the line on party platform. Uh, but I want to ask you specifically about that public education answer. What did you make of that? Well, I, I, I wonder how he got from public education and vouchers to the common defense and all sorts of things that are in the U.S. Well, and, and, well, hold on, hold, hold on. Let me. I, but, I need to interject but, there for just a second, Pete, because I asked sure. him a broad question, but he volunteered the vouchers issue well, first. Well, I, 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 it, it is easy for me. I'm not a voucher guy. I've never been a voucher guy. You don't make public schools better by cutting off their funding. You don't make uh, public schools uh, better by investing less money in public education. 
if we have a challenge in public education today, the the uh, we need to fix that problem instead of just moving the problem somewhere else. And for me, that means investing. You know, when I was in the legislature originally, we, we paid nearly half of the cost of public education as a state, and we partnered with the locals for the other half. It was just under half. Now, I believe the state pays somewhere about 37 or 38 percent of the cost of public education. And so if the state isn't paying its share, then the locals have to step up and pay their share. So what's happening to everybody's property taxes? Because that's how school districts pay for public education. You see property taxes all across the state rising, and you see them rising because primarily the state is not funding public education the way that it needs to be funding. The cost of gasoline has gone up. The cost of electricity has gone up. The cost of heating and cooling the school. We have more kids in the public schools of the state than we've ever had. And we can't be doing that with less and less and less revenue every year, not successfully. And so I would argue that the people who are proponents of vouchers many times are not supporters of public schools and don't want to see uh, the public schools succeed. I don't believe that public education, per se, should be a uh, for-profit venture in that sense. I believe that the public schools should be open and accessible to everybody. And I believe that Texas should be offering a world-class education to all of our kids, no matter where they live, no matter what their economic circumstances. Everybody deserves a fair shot at opportunity. And that's, I think, a huge difference between Mr. Flores and myself. Pete Gallego, I appreciate you taking time. We're going to follow this over the next, as you say, 40 days. Is it? Yes, sir. I look forward to the next 40 days, and uh, we'll see what comes out at the end. I, I, uh, I, I have, uh, like I say, I have a lot of faith. I'm very excited and uh, working very hard over here. So uh, thank you so much, by the way, for having me on your show. And know that I really appreciate it, and I always... Uh, uh, love to uh, to talk to a fellow West Texas. Well, there he is, Pete Gallego. Uh, for uh, more info, how can people look you up, Pete? My website is pretty easy. It's Pete Gallego, P-E-T-E-G-A-L-L-E-G-O.com. Pete Gallego.com uh, is the easiest uh, uh, way to uh, find me or uh, Pete Gallego on Facebook or any one of the number of things. It's just You'll just Google my name. You'll find me, and I'm pretty easy to track down. There he is. Uh, Thank you for making time. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Talk to you next time. So uh, the news of the day revolves around the Texas state news revolving around Pete Gallego, the decisions there, Senate District 28. Um, Again, if you're new to the program, I try to make this all as accessible in layman terms, common man terms as I can. A lot hinges on that district so far as the role of of everything that you'll see. And if I can just allow me to riff riff for just a moment. Uh, The House and Senate are going to be at war in the next legislature, and it's going to depend on what the composition is of the senate as to how much they are at war because you take a state senator and there are 31 of them you come in with a local issue a school issue uh not a pothole issue but more of a localized issue you're going to get your state represent well most of them anyway they aren't bought and paid for you're going to get 
their ear. Uh, state center, they deal with bigger fish, and it's much more difficult, especially with the number of them who are on the hook to other organizations and have other organizations to thank for their elections in the first place. Um, that matters going into the next legislature as local control and these sorts of issues continue to emerge. So appreciate another candidate out of SD19, Senate District 19, jumping in because it'll matter a lot going forward. But now... right listeners to this program over the last week know what that means it's your Rager gate update right here on the newsbreakers on the other side of texas many of you know a state it's soon going to become a state story they're just looking right now wondering do we want to cover that story west of i-35 and that other side of texas and they will yeah but for now the talk of the town talk of the region and in lots of ways talk of the state to be honest scott braddock and i got on offline before we did our interview and and talked for a few because he was saying look i've gotten so many questions about this i mean it's they're even talking about it in houston and austin what's going on and so we kind of took them through what's going on but what's going on here is this I need to be responsible to make this program as entertaining as it is informative. And we will do that. And I'm never making light of this situation because in the days to come, you're going to hear people from rural communities, Floydada, and from which is east of Lubbock. And then you're going to hear from people in La Mesa, south of Lubbock, who talk about what this means. And these are real lives and real people involved. But in the meantime, we have to keep some sort of levity to the situation and so what we've decided we're going to do on this program and i'm going to lay out some of the groundwork here we're going to have a segment and the name of the segment is going to be to to use the words themselves yeah and if you miss that let me do it one more time what do you got what do you got so here's how it's going to work Folks are going to call in, and they're going to talk about what they got. And then we're going to talk about what I got. And we're going to do this. I think we're going to start it tomorrow, and we're going to see how it goes. And we're going to compose all of this audio into one file, and then we're going to play it, and we're going to decide upon uh, one winner who, and again, it's just going to be based upon assets and uh, things like your house and where yeah, where you might live and uh, we're going to have some good back and forth because after all at the end of the day if you don't know anything else about me you know this that is right, you know that you know that about Jay West Texas Leeson so uh, some ground rules uh, you're automatically out if you curse on air you can't call in even though you want to try to match the audio you cannot and will not use language on this show that's an automatic disqualification uh, in our game what do you got? yeah 
our game of what do you got and so we're going to see how that plays out brings some levity some laughter to a very serious uh situation that's going down in texas and i know that they're all on it now and i appreciate that so many of you are coming to us as as a source in it and i i just want to handle it fairly and the best way I know to do that is to bring you the news as it breaks. Uh, Thursday will be a busy day here on the program because that's the next date. If you hadn't been following or you've been under a rock, Ford Motor Credit says, guess what? We're owed $41 million by this company. We think uh, Rager Dykes Automotive Group's nine entity. Nine, it's either seven or nine. Um uh, owe us 41 million dollars at least in what they always say an ongoing process and then gm on friday got the rager dykes dealership and floyd ada terminated and so it's a huge huge impact here in the region but uh beginning tomorrow we are going to do some what do you got what do you got uh ted cruz in town tonight at triple j's here in lubbock and seeing some reports on that just we'll be here for a couple of hours tomorrow we've got some housekeeping to do because the rager gate situation has been so enormous we've got uh, some following up to do on what else has been going on especially with the vet school at texas tech university we're going to get into that and more tomorrow right here on the program. Uh, you've seen the, you've at least seen advertisements for the Black Klansman. Bob Moore wrote a great piece for the Texas Monthly. He'll be on the show, uh, as always, Ross Ramsey in a couple of days, uh, Brandon Darby, and then some guests along the way. For Pete Gallego, for Scott Braddock. We're going to sign off this edition. Thank you for being one of the most listened to podcasts. We don't take that lightly, and we hope that you've been more than informed and maybe you laughed a little bit along the way. I'm going to get home. i got to get home. Great family, above average dinner waiting for us there at the Lease in Ponderosa. Until next time, see you on othersideoftexas.com. Follow along. Subscribe to the website. Never miss a beat. Weekly newsletter. Cost you nothing. And neither does the podcast, which is free, and you can pass it to friends. So many of you are. We appreciate that as well. And they're on Facebook, uh, Facebook, other side of Texas. Until next time, signing off. And we'll talk to you next time. Take your emails, Jay at other side of Texas. Always glad to hear from you. And uh, we appreciate you. Until next time, we'll see you right here on the other side of Texas.